Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Matt and I are safely ensconced in our radio studios. We do not have to trade this market, but somebody who does or more likely invests in this market is a professional by the name of Phil Orlando, Chief Equity Market Strategist and Head of Client Portfolio Management at Federated Hermes. Uh, they've got a couple of shekels under management there. I can attest to that. So, Phil, when you see kind of this volatility here, and I guess it's understandable given all the macro crosswinds out there, what's your 2022 view on Let's just on these equity markets. So, you know, starting with the volatility issue uh, over the last fortnight, I, I guess from Thanksgiving week through you know last night, uh, the S and P five hundred was down about five percent, and and other indices like the Nasdaq Composite, you know, down even more. And and to some degree, um, the stock market's done really really well. You know, we're up 116% since the bottom of the market March a year ago. And this Omicron variant has uh, really captured everyone's imagination over the last couple of weeks. But what I think is sparking the rally here is that, okay, Omicron has now been identified in 17 states and 40 countries. It's moving or transmitting faster than Delta was. But the, uh, the conditions appear to be more mild. And, and I think the market is taking some confidence in that, that the, you know, the, the mortality rates haven't materially increased, and, and maybe Pfizer and Moderna will be able to figure out a tweak um, that, that will uh, allow their uh, existing vaccines to continue to be efficacious. So as we look out to calendar 22, I think we've got to start with sort of that foundation. Where are we going okay. with COVID? Um, and and our view. Well, so let's let's say Phil, um, everything's taken care of. That Omicron isn't. I mean, I know that there's a lot still um, to be discovered, but let's let's just say Omicron isn't more fatal than um, other uh, uh, other variants, and um, we have useful vaccines. What about the Fed? Why are investors piling in to treasuries when Jerome Powell takes a hawkish pivot and we start to expect them to raise rates earlier? Well, th there must be a concern that the Fed is going to get more aggressive, and, and that's certainly our view. We think they're going to double the pace of tapering starting in the first quarter and have the taper completed by the end of March and then probably execute, we think, three quarter point rate hikes over the course of calendar 22, and then four more over the course of calendar 23. And so I think investors are saying, well, if the Fed has found religion on inflation, and, and you know, Powell's thrown in the towel on transitory, you know, which he announced last week, then, then potentially that at the margin, is going to slow economic growth, maybe corporate earnings growth, and therefore we ought to be buying treasuries rather than selling treasuries here to anticipate, you know, a weaker economic backdrop. All right, Phil. I mean, you talk about those rate increases, three uh, potentially, and then followed up by four. 
that's an environment that not many investors have experienced before. Where do you want to be in that type of rate environment from an equity perspective? Well, you want to be in stocks that are more attractively valued, number one, and, and that would suggest the value trade rather than the growth trade. Value stocks right now are trading in the mid-teens. Growth stocks are trading in the mid-30s. So that's a pretty significant difference. And then second, because of the issues that we're dealing with uh, in terms of inflation and in terms of Fed policy, the question is which companies have the ability to uh, execute some pricing power, that, that we know wages are going up, commodity costs are going up, shipping costs are going up, which companies are able to price those increases in and, and actually continue to maintain healthy margins or maybe even expand margins. And for the most part, what we saw in with the third quarter earnings is that it's the economically sensitive categories, you know, financials, materials, energy, consumer discretionary industrials that, that you know, by and large are able to do that. So from an asset allocation standpoint, uh, I, I think the value trade rather than the growth trade is still the way you've got to look at what, what's happening in, or what we think is going to happen in calendar 22. Hey, Phil, thanks so much for joining us. We always appreciate getting your perspective and the benefit of your experience here. Uh, Phil Orlando, Chief Equity Market Strategist, uh, and he's also head of the Client Portfolio Management Team at Federated Hermes. $600 billion in assets under management. I knew Federated was big. I didn't know they were that big. Uh, that's Federated, Phil Orlando. We got an equity outlook with Phil Orlando from Federated Hermes earlier. Let's turn around and take a look at the fixed income biz. We do that with Kevin Nicholson, Global Fixed Income Co-CIO and Co-Head of Investment Committee at Riverfront Investment Group. Kevin, I'm looking at the 10-year Treasury yielding 1.385% today. It's up about four basis points, but I've got a Fed that's talking about tapering. I've got a Fed that's talking about raising rates. What do I do in the fixed income market in 2022, given again, where I think the Fed is going to take this market? Well, I think that when you think about um, fixed income in 2022, you have to think about uh, yields are actually going to move higher. Uh, our, our base case for 2022 is that you are going to have the 10-year in the year at 2%. Um, now, when we think about investing in fixed income next year, we don't that there's going to be a lot of price appreciation. It's really going to come from income. So you're going to be looking at plays uh, like high-yield bank loans and things of that nature that uh, are going to be able to give you a little bit more yield um, and not extend you out on the uh, duration curve. We did see last week traders pull money from the iShares, iBox, high-yield corporate bond ETF, HYG, as it's popularly known, for a third week in a row the short interest on um, iShares, iBox, and investment-grade corporate bond ETF is also near an all-time high. Why are investors right now at least souring on corporate debt? Well, I think that investors are souring on corporate debt right now because there is a risk-off trade in the market. If you look at what happened in the uh, bond market last week, you basically had an overreaction, in my opinion, to the Fed talking about moving tapering up. Uh, let's remember, tapering is not raising rates. Uh, and that's the big thing that I think that is missing here. Um, we 
when you look at the yield curve and what happened over the last a few days, the bond market would be arguing that, you know, the Fed is going to make a policy mistake. However, I believe that what the Fed has done is that they bought themselves more time. And in the sense that we know that Chairman Powell is very data dependent. And so by moving up the taper, what he's effectively done is he's given himself more time to look at uh, the data, the incoming data. And we believe that, you know, interest rates are going or excuse me, inflation is going to peak after the, you know, in the first half of next year um, and then, you know, start to moderate. And so I think that you won't see as many hikes. Um, And and so I think that, you know, you will see uh, interest rates move higher, but not too much higher. All right, Kevin, given that that interest rate outlook, given the inflation environment that we do see ourselves in, at least here for the the short to intermediate term, in the corporate bond market for 2022, what sectors are you guys looking at? Uh, When I turn to uh, corporates, I'm, you know, I'm going to continue to look at industrials uh, specifically, uh, you know, like we like uh, machinery uh, and anything that has to do with any type of infrastructure. Um, we believe that, uh, you know, they're going to um, do pretty well um, if, you, if we're getting down into the subsectors here. Um, but specifically when I'm thinking about fixed income, um, you know, in the corporate uh, investing, I also uh, like financials. Um, because as interest rates move up, you know, financials should do better as they uh, hopefully their loan growth improves. Um, and so I think that uh, you'll be able to pick up some extra yield uh, in the investment grade space when you're focusing on financials. All right. So we saw Goldman Sachs uh, cut U.S. GDP forecast yesterday because of an Omicron drag. Meanwhile, other banks are saying Omicron isn't going to be a big deal. How much does this how much does taking a view on this um, make a difference in your strategy? Well, I think that the view that we're taking is that Omicron is not going to be any worse off than the Delta uh, variant. And what we're seeing so far coming out of South Africa, they're reporting that people are getting not getting as sick as they did with the other uh, variants. So, therefore, we're not um, changing our forecast um, for 2022 at this point because we don't believe that, you know, uh, it's going to have a huge effect. We've come to the realization that we're going to have to live with uh, these various uh, variants, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future, and it may be the new norm. Hey, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate getting your thoughts. Kevin Nicholson, he's Global Fixed Income Co-CIO co-head of investment uh, committee at Riverfront Investment Group. I'm looking at the market here. I'm going to quote the Dow, Matt, even though it's a John Farrow no-no, but he's not here. It's up 620 points. That gets my attention, 1.8% here. I know NASDAQ is not following suit there, but it's interesting to see that kind of rebound in the marketplace. And that's that wall of worry that this market continues to successfully climb. Let's see if that's an issue uh, for our next guest, Lisa Erickson, Senior Vice President and Co-Head of Public Markets Group at U.S. Bank. Lisa, what's your outlook for 2022? Well, we are still positive on the outlook for 2022. And the reason why is if you look at the underlying economic indicators, we see some really nice action. While there's been a slight slowdown in some of the macro variables, overall, if you just measure across a broad array of indicators, what we see is definitely readings that still remain in the expansion phase. 
And on top of that, you see companies being able to really translate that information into positive sales and earnings growth. And people are generally expecting that positive trend to continue because what we're seeing is the 2022 earnings estimate revisions continue to go up. I think the final thing that really gives us some confidence going into the new year is the fact that while um, obviously there's uh, moves to continue to look at tapering as well as uh, when liftoff might occur, overall the level of interest rates and inflation are still at moderate or low levels. And Mm. so all of those kinds of things do give us some confidence. I was just about to ask you about inflation because we're looking for Bloomberg Intelligence forecasts a number uh, for CPI at 6.7% on Friday. That's the highest we've seen it since Olivia Newton-John charted with physical <laughs> um, back back when we knew John Mellencamp as John Cougar. Uh, when E.T. came out in the theaters, it's been a long time since 1982. Are we going to are we going to come back down? Do you think um, this is I don't want to say transitory, but um, do you think that we're going to get over this and next year we're going to start getting back to lower numbers? Yeah, that's a great question. So our hope and our base case is that we start to see some moderation in the inflation numbers next year. And there's a few reasons for that. So the first really is that if you think about what's happened this year, obviously we we have had a tougher time with price increases. But that honestly makes the year-over-year comparisons going into next year tougher. So in other words, it's going to be harder for prices to uh, maintain that level of upward trajectory. And in addition to that, you know, if you just monitor the news flow that's been coming along here over the last few weeks, what we are starting to see is some signs that the supply constraints are coming off. And we really did have a very nice November report. And while it's just one month, it was encouraging to see that labor participation rate go up. And so we are very hopeful. But, you know, really, to your point, that is going to be a key variable to continue to uh, assess. We are going to have a more elevated reading this month, but hopefully, again, as we transverse into the new year, we get some readings that start to show some signs of deceleration. Uh, Lisa, just real quick, 20 seconds here. Are you comfortable with where the Fed is guiding this market in terms of rates? Well, certainly the Fed really has a tough uh road a hoe here going forward. Um, certainly they need to be attentive to what happens on the price side while still trying to be supportive of the economic recovery that's going uh, forward. And so what they've done so far is, is a fairly right. nice job in terms of communication, yep, um, and in terms of, yeah. And that's, yeah, and the, that's key the here for this, for this marketplace. All right, Lisa, thanks so much for joining us. Too short of a time. We're going to get you back soon. Lisa Erickson, Senior Vice President and co-head of the Public Markets Group at U.S. Bank. All right, so we have the Omicron uh, variant out there. And the question is, how effective will the existing vaccines that we have uh, in dealing with that? Let's bring in someone I think has a thought or two on that. Dave Herring, Chief Operating Officer of Adagio Therapeutics. Previously, he led Pfizer's vaccine program for North America. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. We, we know your time is precious here. What do you know about the therapeutics, whether it's Pfizer's or Moderna's, as it relates to this new Omicron variant. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting question, right? A lot to still be known. I've seen what, what uh, has been said publicly, which is there's a lot of concern uh, about whether the current vaccines will be uh, effective uh, against this variant. 
and really, to me, this is a wake-up call, both for the, the country and the world. We always suspected that there could be variants that would escape both the, the current vaccines as well as some of the antibodies. And you know, so far, knock on what it looks like it's not as severe as, as people had feared. But we also know that this virus will continue to mutate. So this is my concern, um, although I've heard opposing views. I was thinking if this variant is more transmissible but less dangerous, that's still um, that's that still uh, leaves room to be cautious because what if it then mutates as it spreads to so many people into something that is more fatal? I totally agree with you, right? And we don't know yet what's going to happen when even this variant reaches some of the more vulnerable populations, whether that's you know, older uh, adults, people in nursing homes, et cetera. And uh, what we do know is every time people get infected, the virus has this opportunity to mutate. And we've said all along, uh, there's likely going to be more variants than there are Greek uh, letters in the alphabet. So uh, I, I think your your fear is grounded. I mean, the, the, the opposing view I, I read, and it was somebody on Wall Street this morning, so it wasn't a virologist, who said this is great news because it means that the variant is that the virus is mutating into something more like the flu, which is kind of like what happened with the Spanish flu. At least that's what we all think. I don't know the history exactly um, that eventually this becomes sort of a common cold or something that everyone can get. But very few people die from. Is that how viruses typically do mutate into less fatal diseases? Well, I, I mean, I think you're going a little bit outside of my comfort zone here. But, uh, I mean, what we do see is, is, of course, you know, as people get infected, you do start to, to develop different immunities. Although I would argue influenza is still quite a deadly disease, uh, you know, one that um, we haven't come up with a good solution to. Uh, and it's certainly one that uh, needs more attention. And people are continually worried about influenza pandemics uh, coming along and, and new ones that um, are you know there. I think for, for currently, for, for COVID, we're not there yet. And even as an endemic, we're talking about a lot of people who are at risk, uh, haven't been vaccinated, don't have treatments. Um, and so from, from our perspective, we really feel around the world, the United States in particular, we should be putting more effort to finding more products to make it so, as you say, um, we could make it more like the common cold. And at least if we're going to have to live with it, make it uh, something we can do in a much less deadly and impactful way. So, Dave, as, as these variants continue to come along, what can you tell us about the ability of folks like Pfizer, Moderna to tweak their existing vaccines to kind of meet the, the demands of these newer variants? How does that how long does that take? Can it be done? How hard is it to get done? Yeah, I mean, the, the good news is uh, with the mRNA technology, it can be done. Uh, I did read recently, though, the FDA thinks the soonest that those products could be tweaked and available is April, uh, which is why, you know, from, from our perspective at Adagio and, and the product that, that we're working on for an antibody, um, we think we need more shots on goal. We need more products. We need, you know, Warp Speed 2.0, if you will, to make sure that if something like Omicron comes along and is more deadly, we're prepared and that we don't have to wait three or four months uh, you know, our, our product was designed to be uh, useful against all the variants. We're waiting to see if that proves to be true. 
Um, and if that's the case, we want the, the governments around the world to be accelerating and expediting these, these tools so that we have solutions to, to this variant and, and future ones. We've only got a minute left, but are these um, kinds of viruses going to pop up more and more often? I know you have worked at Novartis and Pfizer. You've dealt with uh, H1N1 and other pandemics. Is this, is this kind of thing going to happen more and more often? I mean, unfortunately, right. I mean, I started working on pandemics in 2009. I've worked on Ebola. I've worked on MERS, SARS, and a few other ones. I mean, I sure hope not. Uh, I would like this to be the last pandemic that any of us see for a while. But I think probably the reality of the situation is is we need to be more prepared um, and be ready for these things, whether it's something that Mother Nature throws at us or or even the threat of some sort of bioterrorism. And uh, and that to me is is what we should be, be, be working towards. Hey, Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate getting your um, perspective. Chief Operating Officer for Adagio Therapeutics, previously led Pfizer's vaccine program for North America, uh, trying to get a better handle on how this Omicron variant will stack up against the existing vaccines. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.